visiting the Dorner Telescope Museum on episode 373 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky, and this podcast is for everybody else who likes going out under the stars. So have you bought anything new recently, Shane? Um, I bought some flashlights, nothing related to astronomy, though. So, Like red yeah. flashlights? Or? No, 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 like uh, just a standard flashlight. I bought some minus 40 boots and some thermal underwear. <laughs> oh, cool. What kind of boots? What's the brand? I can't remember what the brand is, but they're they're a pretty expensive boot that should uh that should be good. My feet were getting a little cold last winter when I was out observing with Mike on the three or four occasions where we did go out and I did a couple sessions on my own. I was like, this problem is solvable. I'm I'm gonna do that. And I I bought a new winter coat too and and some other down and fleece lined paraphernalia and thermal underwear. And I'm getting, uh, getting ramped up for the next six months. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, that will make a big difference. Um, when I bought my, uh, the, the brand is Baffin, uh, boots, I forget which yeah. model or whatever, but they're, you know, Arctic rated and, and man, are they, they're just so nice on a, a cold winter night. Like I think, um, I think I may have talked about this on a podcast like a year and a half ago, but yeah, I remember um, that. it stuck out to me. That's why I did this. Yeah. So like the, the first test I did was I just sat in a chair in the backyard without moving for, mm-hmm. it was 30 to 45 minutes. And I just went in cause I was bored. I didn't go in because I was cold and it was minus 30, uh, core temperature that night. No, like that's not including the wind. Yeah. And, uh, it just, it's such a difference, uh, maker because typically my feet and my hands are the first things that get really cold and often in an observing session for me. So I, I do focus on taking care of the, the extremities of my limbs to make sure I can keep going. Yeah, I I had a decent pair of like minus 20 odd boots when I first Mm -hmm. moved here, I bought, but they weren't quite good enough. And I I looked at these newer boots, I I think really is is what these ones are. And uh, they've got a much, much thicker sole. I'd say that the sole on these is a good uh, quarter inch or so uh, thicker because what happens when, when you're standing around, like if you're out walking, a minus 20 boot is like, that's all you need. If you're only going to be out like walking the dog or, you know, doing stuff out, out and about, you can be outside for a long time in a minus 20 boot. Uh, I can go outside for, uh, you know, an hour or so snowshoeing or something. But if you're just going to be standing at the telescope, um, the, you can just feel the cold, like pulling the, uh, the heat out of you. Like it's like pulling the heat out of your body through your feet. And it just is uh, a terrible chilly experience. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Having a, a thick sole is, is important on frozen ground and then just all kinds of insulation in there is, is key. So I don't think you'll be disappointed. I'm sure it'll allow you to observe a lot deeper into the winter night. Yeah. I, yeah. And last year, just where we had even, uh, temperatures of minus 26 ish, um, into the end of, of April, I think we're still having minus 18, minus 23, into the end of April. And it was just, uh, so frustrating because, uh, just because of the patterns in the weather changing, uh, we're, we're getting these polar vortices, uh, coming down, uh, quite frequently. And, and then sometimes it can be clear and, and the conditions might be decent for doing astronomy, but, uh, it is, uh, extra challenging to do that when it is, uh, like, you know, into the minus, you know, 25 and, and colder range. Hmm. You just need a, 
a plot in the uh, the sky villages in Arizona. Yeah, boy, isn't that tempting, hey? Isn't it? Yeah, that would be uh, that would be pretty cool. But uh, I I've I've put my my stake in. What is it called when you you put a thing in for gold? What's that called? Can't remember. Yeah. I put my I put my stake into a hillside in Saskatchewan. So that's that's where I'm going to be. You know, probably if I went to Arizona that week, it would be cloudy. Um, anyway, but uh, mm. I was sure sure would like to visit. But in you know, in these long winters here, six months. You know, from basically uh, November first ish, we had our first taste of minus twenty two, and uh, last April. Um, 20 odd whatever of, of the month right up to the end of of the month of april we were into uh that same kind of minus 22 with with the wind chill type weather so um i just thought uh i'm gonna pull the plug and and buy some new i have have had some cold weather gear before but uh i'm buying even more now and and newer stuff and better stuff so pretty excited for for that and uh yeah, so I had a bit of a whirlwind trip to Ontario. It was pretty wild. Did uh, quite a few things there, Shane. Not, I sent you a whole pile of photos. So I hope they didn't fill up your phone too bad. No, it was good. Um, very interesting stuff. Um, so I think we're talking about the Dorner Telescope Museum and yeah. all of the uh, things you were able to see. And it sounds like it was uh, very rich with astronomical history. Yeah, yeah, flew into Ontario last last week, which would be two weeks ago when people hear this, and uh, it was a Thursday afternoon, and you know had a nice leisurely dinner and went to bed, and then we we're uh, we were woken at two a.m. by the by the fire alarm, and then I uh, got up reasonably early to uh, to make sure I was up in time to meet uh, Randall. He he came by. Uh, He's a friend of mine, and uh, he's been on the show a few times. Took us, mm-hmm. took me up to the Dorner Telescope Museum, which uh, which was really nice, and also stopped by the RASC National Office to meet briefly with our Executive Director uh, Jenna. And then after that, I was planning to take the subway and hitch a ride up to the David Dunlop Observatory. I think we'll do a future episode on that. And Saturday uh, was uh, supposed to be a much slower pace, but it ended up being a bit frantic. I went out to Tom Otvis's house and checked out his 14 inch f 2.6 reflector and those 80 millimeter uh, binoculars that he's he's uh, constructing out of the uh, 3d printed parts um yeah that was pretty cool and then sunday met up with my uh father-in-law rebecca's dad and uh flew back uh here to saskatchewan so it was just like absolutely jam-packed every every moment was full of doing something but it was uh it was a pretty cool trip yeah that's awesome yeah, so Randall met me at my hotel, and uh, we made our way over to the museum. Uh, the way that the public transit ran there was perpen- was like diagonal to where we were going, so it was going the other way, and we would have had to switch all. So we just walked. It was like a forty minute, 40 minute walk. So we just walked and chatted, and that was pretty cool. And Randall just got back from a trip to Italy, where he was at uh, museums like the uh, Museum de Galileo. And uh, also, uh, he went to the Brer Observatory, so he was telling me a little bit about that, uh, which I was super interested in because I was trying to match the interior paint from my observatory to the Brer Observatory. So we were we were talking about that uh, interest. But the uh, do you know anything about the uh, Dorner Telescope Museum, Shane? They've got one little blurb on the RASC website, but I don't know if you've uh, you, you've caught much about it yet. 
Not a ton. You've talked a little bit about it, uh, that the, uh, I guess the founder and I think, uh, donator of a lot of the, uh, gear and, and items there, uh, was a friend of yours, uh, and a member of the RASC and, uh, that this Dorner museum is still in its uh, early stages of, of getting established. Yeah. So Rudolf Dorner, uh, Rudy, uh, he, he found at the museum, unfortunately he passed away in 2022. I, I kind of meant to have him on the show and then uh, you know, I knew he wasn't well and, and, uh, you know, was trying to, uh, sort that out, but fortunately he did pass away before we ever get that arranged. And, uh, he set up a fund and gathered a few close people around, uh, Randall and Peter and, and some other folks, um, uh, Rudy, uh, and I did observe a bit together in, in Waterloo. I lived in Kitchener, Waterloo for a while. And my, my first introduction to him was, that I was out observing just after I bought my five inch and I had it mounted up on, uh, on a tripod. I still own it's a decent tripod, but it's a little bit lightweight for a five inch apocromat. And he recognized this and said, I'm going to bring you a proper tripod. And, um, the next time we observed together a few weeks later, he showed up with uh, a beautiful handmade wooden tripod that he had made, um, decades before for himself and, uh, and gifted it to me. And I always was very appreciative of that. Um, he has a, there's a piece here, uh, a quote that they put on the website that, uh, that is from Rudy he says, uh, a strong believer in the power of narrative. He was concerned that much of the story of the telescope in Canada was in danger of not being told, particularly the story of many resourceful amateur telescope makers. The solution he envisioned was, uh, an institution devoted solely to telling that story and preserving the materials, uh, for doing so, um, he was a guy, Shane. He had so many telescopes and so many interesting devices. Uh, he had some of those Kawa fluorite binoculars, uh, the uh, seven-inch uh, Intes Mac Newtonian. Uh, the the telescope I looked through the most of his though was the uh, Takahashi uh, FS one two eight. Not sure if you've had the pleasure of looking through one of those before. It's pretty cool. No, no, I haven't. Um, that's a little bit of an older tack now, I think. Mm. Is that a doublet or a triplet? Doublet. Okay. Doublet. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I wish they would bring back that aperture, you know, somewhere in that mm. close to five inch range uh, as a doublet. Because right now, I all they have are, are triplets and quads, I believe, in that aperture. Yeah, it very nice telescope. And we spent uh, two or three nights just side by side comparing that to my uh, 125 millimeter telescope. Once I get it on a proper tripod, he, he, he was willing to then do the comparisons. So it was kind of cool. Um, and then he had all sorts of handheld binoculars. Uh, the very first time I ever observed with him, in fact, I, 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 he didn't come to club meetings really. I, I don't think he ever came to a club meeting I was at anyway. Um, he just would go observing. And one Friday night, I, I, uh, went out to one of the usual observing sites that, that, uh, several of us would go to and he just happened to be there and he said oh you and i had a pair of binoculars i was doing some binocular observing and he said oh you like binoculars and yeah you know they're they're pretty good to look through he said try these and handed me a pair of swarovski uh i ate by something i don't know what they were and i'll tell you you look through those and you realize that uh where the money goes when you buy such a set <laughs> Put it that mm, way. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> it's pretty well, cool you know again that's it's nice to know people in the astronomical world, uh, just to test uh, different gears sometimes and see, 
how much better, say, a Swarovski is than a, a, another pair of binos. So it's, oh. uh, it's neat to have those opportunities. Yeah, he had all kinds of different gear like that. And um, oh, another t- telescope he had. It was it was such a good telescope. It's too bad they didn't have a better. Uh, I guess they they've had some trouble with their manufacturing processes. Was the Discovery ten inch f six, and it was uh, it was quite nice. We had a couple nights with that once, and uh, yeah, he would come out and join us, and uh, just was uh, you know one of the uh, regular uh, guys who would who would come observing. Um, spent a couple nights with the Kawa uh, fluoride eighty two millimeters with the different eyepieces, and uh, yeah, it was it was really neat. Uh, got to visit his home. And uh, and see some of the other instruments that uh, that he had there, but yeah, it was one of the things he always had an interest in uh, telescopes and in using the telescopes, and then modifying them um, and and having some assistance modifying them when he couldn't, and then uh, yeah, he just just set up this telescope museum. Sort of strangely enough, I, I didn't see many of his instruments out when I was at the museum, so mm-hmm. I think I was saying to you, it's it's probably best to wait. Some of the stuff is sort of in the background. We're gonna play a something here in a second but i'm going to kind of walk you through what i saw shane and i feel like my images to you probably seem pretty chaotic to say the least (laughs) Uh, i don't know it's what i would expect from a museum you're seeing a lot of different things and and you know this museum as you mentioned is still in the process of being set up and established so you you know the the, the randomness of the images doesn't surprise me. Yeah, it was, it seemed very chaotic. We, we planned to be there for about three and a half or four hours. We were there for three and a half hours and it seemed like 15 minutes. It, I, like when I think back, if I, if I hadn't looked at my watch when we started, looked at my watch when we finished, cause I was on a bit of a timeline, I, I couldn't have imagined that was three and a half hours in, in the room. It's a big room. I'm going to say it's a probably a, maybe a, thousand or or two thousand square feet something like that it it is not set up yet for for visitors although as randall will say you you can arrange to uh to visit by by contacting him um but i think people are interested they should they should put it on their agenda to visit in uh mid 2024 when it does open um just simply because the stuff is uh is is not fully curated yet so Shane, walking in, just imagine a room packed with dozens and dozens of telescopes, sometimes in those beautiful wooden cases, just stacked against a wall. Just unbelievable. As far as, far as the eye can see. Far, far as the eye can see. It seems um, pretty wild, but not like a telescope store. Um, you know, you go into a telescope store, Shane, and and we don't get to do this too often because uh, we live in Saskatchewan. There's no telescope stores nearby, but but we've each been to a telescope store a few times. And when you walk into a telescope store, sure, you know, there's probably two, maybe three telescopes in there that you're like, oh, yeah, this is kind of a neat telescope I want to look at. But imagine walking into a room where 90% of the telescopes are like telescopes you want to walk up and 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 either, you know, take outside and look through or just get more information on because you're like what is what is this thing it's just amazing what they have in there i'll get into that here in a second yeah i think it's pretty cool and you know some of those telescopes or maybe most of those telescopes i'm not sure uh might be the only time you really get to see them because they are such unique rarities that um you just don't have those opportunities to see them out in circulation very often i'm gonna say this when they first talked about doing this i thought 
that's it's kind of a neat idea, but is it just going to be like everybody's leftovers? You know, a lot of the time, and we even had an email this week from somebody that was looking to donate some telescopes, mm-hmm. and some of those telescopes actually, I think two of the telescopes that person was um, thinking about um, selling or uh, or donating. Uh, two of those models, which are somewhat rare, were in the uh, telescope museum, a uh, 110 millimeter f13 and a half uh, from Antares, a beautiful telescope mm. already in the museum, though. And this person was uh, perhaps looking to donate one or or sell it or or do something. Um, so uh, you know, and and that's fine. But there there are there are often people who are looking to um, donate like an old telescope to a club or something. And I thought, well. You know that that's fine for some of the models, but what would that look? It's just going to be a room full of C8s or something like that. Was originally mm-hmm. what I was thinking, uh, but it's not that. There are some somewhat common telescopes, but those would be, for example, like uh, one of the more common telescopes, which might be sort of like an ordinary telescope, um, Celestron C14. <laughs> that's oh, wow! Like, yeah. So. That's a pretty cool telescope to see. Um, it wasn't fully set up, but that's a telescope that was an off-the-shelf purchase telescope. They have one of they have one of the uh, Celestron um, telescopes you can put the cell phone on and point it. So that that was a common telescope, and there was maybe one or two others. But the rest out of all these dozens of telescopes were phenomenal. So. The center telescope in the room, which I don't know if it's going to be the centerpiece or not. There's there's other telescopes that are equally as interesting. Is David Levy's uh, 16-inch F5 was in okay. the cen- wow. center of the room, sure. so that was kind of neat to see a telescope that has found so many comets. Is that was that a homemade telescope or like an ATM? Yeah, of sorts, yes, okay. of okay. of sorts, and so heavily modified over the years that mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, you know. Is one of those things, and then um, they have two telescopes. These, these in, in my opinion, are amongst the most interesting telescopes that I've ever seen, and they absolutely blew me away. And they are telescopes that were featured in the Albert Engels telescope making book, the ATM books. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think they're Benting telescopes uh, or Banting telescopes. Uh, Randall talks about in the clip I'll play. Uh, and one of them is on, almost looks like a sculptor's bench, you know, like how they have like the little workbench for sculpting. It looks like that. And then the other one in the back is a 12 or 12 and a half inch F8 on an equatorial mount. Okay. Interesting. And that telescope, I couldn't get a good picture of it because it was in the back, but it is absolutely one of the most beautiful uh, telescopic instruments that I've ever seen. It it looks like Victorian steampunk, kind of beautiful white enamel tube with brass, and it's just absolutely stunning, uh, built in, in Toronto by a real estate entrepreneur um, or a real estate investor of some sort. And uh, and it was featured in in uh, one of the uh, one of the articles that uh, those ATM books were made uh, were, were created from uh, by Albert Ingalls and uh, Russell Porter, and so they've got two of these telescopes from from that book in there, a replica of Galileo's telescope. Um, there there's other things that I couldn't get in the video because you kind of had to. I didn't want to go like Randall's 
very uh, small of build, maybe to put it lightly. And so he's able to kind of navigate in and around. He kind of was showing me some stuff and he's the person setting it up. Like there's um, orreries and planospheres. Um, what else is in there? Um, there's these uh, meteorites and the meteorite I was, I was sending you, I think I wrote it down. I can't remember what it is, but it's a, it's a meteorite where when it came through the atmosphere, it turned to glass. And then there's these little bits where when it hit the ground, the glass broke off and you can see through, but it's like that black vitrified glass. And then you can actually see through the glass in places where it's cracked. And then you can see the meteorite underneath. Um, I don't, I don't know what that is, Shane. Have you ever seen a meteorite like that before? And it's huge. It's the size of a brick. And it, it wasn't like a palisite, because uh, I think palisite, uh, well, they're not coated in glass, but they'll have like kind of glass beads within the meteorite. Um, the whole thing was glass. Oh, wow. Like the yeah. whole outside. Apparently it was some sort of, Randall said what it was and and I tried to write it down, but it was like the way our, our tour was going, it was like, here's a really cool thing. And then like 30 seconds later, here's another thing. And here's another thing. They have binoculars there, Shane, that were made in Canada, like made in Canada binoculars. Oh, wow. What kind? I can't remember. It's in, I have, uh, uh some- I think Bosch and Lom was, uh, was made in Canada for a little while. I had a pair that were crafted here. Yes. There were some Bosch and Lums. What are the ones I put in? REL Canada, 1943. Hmm. Okay. Seven by fifties, and uh, yeah, they had they had some B and Ls there. I think I think they were like the OEM Bosch and Loms is what a lot of these were uh, being manufactured. Um, the books in there are they're they're incredible. I'd say they're they're to die for. You know, I I brought along one of my N ninety five pandemic masks, and before we get into the books, I put that thing on because I was like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna have an asthma attack here from. From the book. So I threw that on and, and didn't have to worry. And we took out some books. The, the book that really struck me the most, we, we looked at several and he, and he's got a lot of books in there with hand drawings by uh, members and honorary members of the RASC over the years. Um, one of them I took a photo of was a uh, print from E.E. Uh, e. Barnard. Um, which is really cool to see. I didn't get a good photo of it or anything. And then I'm like, well, I really can't do anything with these because it's sort of the property of the telescope museum getting a behind the scenes look. But the, the book that fascinated me the most, which surprised me was the father Sechi book on double stars. I'm not sure Mm. if you've ever seen that it's written in French, but yeah, never even heard of it, uh, until you sent images of it. And, uh, it, it looks like a fantastic double star book. Um, you know, you sent a couple pages, like photos of a, of yep. a couple of the pages of sketches of the doubles. And what really resonated with me was just the, uh, capture of the, the color of the stars. Um, like it was very pronounced, um, and even just how he was able to, I think, represent the magnitude difference of the stars, mm-hmm. uh, seemed to really jump out and, uh, also the positioning, you know, like I, I think. I I assume anyway that there was sort of a, a standard that north was upwards or something like that. So you you also got an appreciation for the alignment of these uh, double stars in the sky too, which is pretty cool. Oh man, that book is uh, one of the most beautiful astronomical books I've I've ever seen. And Shane, as a double star observer, you would just go uh, uh, googly eye. 
mm, with mm-hmm. with what's in there. I think I sent you. They have like the the original Double Star catalogs from 1906. Wow. Uh, a fa- this Father Secchi book is a first edition. Father Secchi was the person who, uh, if you you know, you can go and do some research. But they they were the individual who went and uh, they they went and reobserved the Struve catalog and made uh, sort of the annotated and and the corrections to to that catalog. Um, and then drew uh, a lot of the double stars and and the image uh that that i have on my screen right now is is the one that shows um like gamma andromeda and a few other ones and and he colored them there it's a black circle with the the stars uh colored and it's uh it's just such a beautiful representation i don't know how anybody could not um see that book and not want to go out and take take a look at some of these stars it's very very inspirational um that kind of surprised me and there's there's tons of star atlases and uh oh just all kinds of other stuff but look uh we were chatting and uh one of the things that uh that i have there is uh a bit of an audio clip maybe maybe we'll just uh kind of give give the helm over to uh randall here while i Will I tee this up? How does that sound? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, let let me know if the sound isn't good, but I I've just left it all running, so should be good. Okay. This is the earliest surviving telescope we've got here that has a connection with the RASC, and it's amazing it survives. RASC decided, well, we're a astronomy society, we need a we need a decent telescope for people to use, and then we can use for public outreach as well. So they ordered this. They ordered this through an agent in Toronto. It was made by Thomas Cook and Sons in New York, one of the big telescope makers of the 19th century. The date on it is 1901. Now, if you look at this carefully, you'll see that they're, uh, oh, it's also, it's really fast for the period. It's quite, sh- it's quite, it's always F10. And what's the size? Is it a 90 millimeter? Uh, no, it's a hundred. Four inch, F10. I like the black anodized tube. It's, it's copper alloy. And all does. Yep. And it's just possible. I'm going to do more research on this. I think the mount and the tripod are made in Toronto. Okay. What about uh, this little marvel over here? This little thing dates to the 1980s. This is made by a friend of David, David Levy, the great comet discoverer and variable star observer and lecturer and expert on Shakespeare. This is made for David about the time he was going down to Arizona to discover comets. And by God, he discovered comets with this thing. 16-inch daub, and it's 1980s-style daub. It's pretty heavy thing. Anyways, he did what Leslie Peltier did. Every time David discovered a comet, he had a little plaque made up. Well, I, I think Peltier may have uh, incised them. Uh, I don't know. He also had famous people sign them. And this is like a... John Dobson. Who else we have? David, David Sobel and other people. And it's a 16-inch F5. Now, I'm just remembering this. Oh, I'm not sure. It looks about F5 to me. And it has its name. David names all his telescopes. Miranda. This one's Miranda. He had, uh, I think it was Wendy, his wife's sister, did the uh, calligraphy on it. Ah, very nice. What else we got in here? Well, let's see. What else have we got? I'll do this. Uh, Real Manso is an amateur telescope maker in Quebec. He's a really quite skillful craftsperson. Anyway, this is his copy of the so-called Champlain Astrolabe. The original is now at the, uh, at the museum in Ottawa. I've been there to look at it. Yeah, and Real did a quite accurate copy of it. God, these things are heavy. 
But of course, the reason why they're heavy is because they're self, what do you put it, self-centered. And they need it to hang uh, in the ship. Well, yeah, I mean, it's probably for an observation, the person would be holding it on deck. Difficult thing to observe. God, we complain now. Okay, let's, uh, what's, you were showing us this over lunch? Uh-huh. This is the display of the surviving optical artifacts by Galileo Galilei. These are the ones that survived. So there's two optical tube assemblies with their lenses. This, by the way, was also made by Rayon Manso. And this here is a copy of the frame by Vittorio Croston from 1677. In the middle there, let's pick this up. Maybe Chris can get a close-up here. So in the middle there, let me put this on. Maybe get this. Oh yeah, you can see. That is, so in the original of this, which is in the Galileo Museum in Florence, is reputed to be the objective lens with which, with which Galileo made his incredible discoveries in 1609. The, the four largest moons of Jupiter, uh, stars you cannot see with your naked eye, phases of Venus, the rugged surface of the moon. This has been tested, by the way, and it came out to be a very good quality lens. Okay. Let's take a look, and this is... Uh one of Galileo's telescopes here, I think you were telling me earlier. It isn't actually. Oh, well, it's it's like a replica of a harbor master of sorts. Yeah, so this yeah. is a Dolan. A Dolan, that's it. This is actually sorry. a Dolan Acromat. Uh, we, we have this version of uh, Roy Bishop, um, great amateur astronomer in Nova Scotia, Evan Port. Um, this supposedly dates from 1910, which is one of the great apparitions of Halley's, Halley's Comet. So it's possible Halley's Comet was observed with this thing. Uh, it still works just fine. The leather covering is actually, in the 19th century, a lot of the lens caps were made of leather, which is really cool. Brashears normally had that. And here's a cool thing. Oh, we can come over here, Chris, just move here. You like this? Yes. Ah. That's again standard on a later 19th and wow. early 20th century telescope. Beautiful telescopes. lens cap, yeah. Okay, let's uh, tell, tell us about the very large white telescope in the back. This one is of great interest. That is a, I think, 12 inch, 12 or 12 and a half inch mirror. No, I think it's 12 inch. F8 Newtonian reflector. This was built by H.L. Rogers, who was a real estate man, a real estate tycoon, I guess is what you call him, in Toronto. He's a very good, very, very good, he's originally from England. Excellent craftsman. So all the mechanical stuff you can see there was by Rogers. He also did the optics. This is featured in Sky and Telescope, and it's also featured in that collection that Albert Ingalls uh, put together on amateur telescope making, volume one. There's a picture of this towards the back of the book. And we've got another telescope here that was also featured in that as well. Yeah, to my surprise, it's this right here. Quite an elegant piece of work. Rogers didn't sign, didn't sign his instruments. The rumor has it, is that this belonged to the estate of Sir Frederick Banting. I can find no confirmatory evidence to that, nothing to confirm it, but it, I mean, it's possible. The period is right. Both of these instruments, so this would be a six inch F8, and that would be, and, and that was F8 12 inch, um, late 1920s. There's some mysteries about this, the connection with Banting, which may or may not turn out to be accurate, but also the latitude for this. This is for nowhere in Canada. You'd have to be in this, in the uh, northern states to use this mm -hmm. properly. Okay, and then we have a uh, 
large refractor here. We were debating on the focal ratio of this. This is an amazing telescope. This is one of the award-winning apocrymats by Alan Moore of Sudbury. Alan designed the telescope and he made the optics. And let's just, yeah, so you got the plaque there. This one was made for, so Alan made two of these, identical. And this particular one was made for Rudy Dorner, who was a fantastic observer and a connoisseur of telescopes and optics. And really quite a remarkable individual. And Rudy is the guy who had the idea and has funded the Telescope Museum. And what's it called officially? What are, what are we in? It's the Dorner Telescope Museum of the rest. And take a look at the objective there. Beautiful. Oh, and the stand was made by Stargazer Steve, Steve Dodson, of Sudbury. We have one of Steve's uh, Dobsonians made from one of his telescope kits. And when does the Telescope Museum open, Randall? Oh, I want to know. I'm hoping later this year. So nobody, you no, can't... Like, not later this year. Next year. First half of next year. First half of next year. So right now it's it's not open to the public. It's Well, anyone who wants to visit is invited to come. You can contact me or contact Jenna at the office. And we can arrange a private tour. That's, that's absolutely fine. I'd love to do that. Uh, to have it officially open, it's not officially open yet. Because I've got to get the labels and the interpretive stuff set up. And put things in the actual order. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Randall. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, so a little bit of a tour for you there, virtual tour for you there, Shane. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Um, it's uh, it was no exaggeration about how much gear is in there. It's just stuff it's like stuff on top of stuff. It, it's really amazing how much there is, and uh, you know the the video that you captured is pretty cool, just to show the like kind of the uniqueness of some of these old telescopes and just how well preserved they are. It it really is quite impressive and this is going to be a, a great museum once it's open uh, for people to attend you know like if you have any interest in astronomy uh, you will it looks like you'll be fascinated here yeah it's pretty cool and i really appreciate randall taking the time to uh to take me through it me meeting up it's always great to meet up with randall we we've been friends for a long time and then uh, i was really excited to actually see uh this telescope museum coming to fruition i remember when it was just an idea and and now you can actually walk into a room and start uh, looking at telescopes. I'm really excited to uh, see where their project goes here. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Are they also accepting donations if somebody has a an old telescope that they think maybe belongs in a museum? I, I think they'll consider them. Um, you know, I don't really know the answer to that question. I think if people did have something they would uh, best to get to get in touch with the uh, RASC national office and they'll connect you to to the appropriate person. I think there's a few people that are involved um, in in the setting up of, of the telescope museum. In fact, I know there are. Uh, so it just kind of depends, uh, depends a little bit on what the instrument would be, I suppose. Mm, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's really neat to uh, to be able to actually go and then walk through it. I'm really excited to see what they do. I think I think that 12 inch, what did you think of that 12 inch uh, F8? <laughs> it's enormous. Um, a 12 inch F5 is what I used to have, which was a Mead light, a Mead light bridge. And uh, that was a fairly large telescope, but On to a see, yeah, to see an F8 
on an EQ mount is uh, something else. <laughs> you know, a, a solid tube, twelve inch by itself, would be quite heavy, and I can't imagine the the you know the mount and what that thing would weigh in order to to you know provide a stable platform. Uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. So it was really neat to go and and spend some time. They're really cool to uh, to meet Jenna as well over at the office and uh, end up uh, three of us end up grabbing some some lunch and taking it back to the office. Well, Randall gave us an impromptu presentation uh, on uh, Galileo, which was uh, really fascinating to hear about since he just got back from uh, from Italy. So you know, always uh, always a great experience. Uh, to be able to to go in and take a look at that, but yeah, if if somebody is really interested, you happen to be in Toronto and have uh, have some free time and and kind of arrange it beforehand, like I did. Like a, we spent a while arranging this, and the days moved around and and such. So you have to be a little bit flexible depending on um, what's happening. They were just installing David Levy's telescope, um, so they they are bringing in some pretty significant instruments and getting them set up. So uh, some days they they can do a tour and. Lots of days they they can't do them right now, and uh, I, I was almost reluctant to go in a way after even after I was there because uh, you know you you feel like you're eating into the time of of the setting up of the museum, and it's going to be really cool once it's set up and they have the proper you know in, interpretive uh, information set up and uh, and the backgrounds uh, well listed for everything because you can see there we're we're just talking as friends and it's like what's this and oh oh no wait it's you know mm-hmm. it's, it's that kind of uh, it's that kind of stuff. Like I have a photo, like he was showing me the, uh, uh, he was showing me the uh, Astrolabe there. I think it's called the Cartier Astrolabe. And I've seen the original, I have a photo of the original. So it'd be cool to have like the replica and then maybe like a photo of of the original um, and this kind of thing. But right now, yeah, it's just on like this little table with a, with 20 other things, right? It's just like, it, there's just treasures everywhere. And we just... That video just scrapes scrapes the surface. The orreries are uh, are beautiful. I asked what one of them cost, and I, I you know I couldn't believe how much it cost. Like far more than all of our astronomical gear to uh, together, Shane. So, <laughs> wow, yeah. yeah, it's quite the collection. Um, I'm fascinated by that kind of stuff. Uh, it would also be great one day um, if there was sort of a virtual tour available of the museum for those that can't get there. And I, I know that's super ambitious and I, it's easy for me to put that out into the air, but, but that's one thing I do appreciate about some museums too, is when you're able to do a virtual tour. Yeah. Well, I certainly uh, plan to go back once it opens. Like I was saying, I'm, I'm trying to make arrangements to get back now. And if, if it's open or surely it will be further along then. I, I didn't intend to go and shoot a video. I thought I would just take some photos and then I thought it would work really well to get Randall just to focus for 30 seconds on a bunch of the different instruments that are, that are there so I could have uh, an image of the instrument and then some information for the podcast. And we originally aimed for like two or three minutes. It ended up being about almost nine minutes. And it's just, it's just so rich. I thought we'll, we'll just try to use the video, even though the sound quality uh, wasn't the best. But I think if I go back again, maybe I can use um, that microphone I have or a couple of those other uh, lapel mics and and uh, and could do a, a proper video and, and walk through of it. It would be neat to do sections on the telescopes and a section on the orreries and a section on um, the meteorites and a section on the books. Um, and and a section on some of the other historical documents for the RASC. Uh, I think if if it was broken up into uh, half a dozen videos of uh, 
you know, 20 or, or 30 minutes in length each, I, I think you'd have uh, a pretty uh, a good encapsulation of of what's in there. Like I said, strangely enough, I was thinking about this when I got back and this would have been a good question to ask Randall, which is where are Rudy's telescopes? Because I actually don't think I saw one of his telescopes um, other than the uh, six inch F10 apocromat. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, yeah. And that six, six, uh, six inch F10 uh, looked beautiful. Um, you know, sort of a, I don't know, what would that be like a Chrome tube uh, on a very yeah. unique, like kind of replicating a Dobsonian mount on a tripod. Yeah. Um, it, it looked like a fine instrument. You couldn't see it. I don't think you could see it in the video. Um, and I don't think I'm gonna, the, the video is huge. When I, I, I was going to download it last night, but it was almost a gig. So I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with it yet. But uh, the bearings on that telescope are Paderno um, cake pans. <laughs> I, I love the creativity of yeah. of telescope makers and, and users sometimes. Uh you know, there's, there's no sense overthinking a solution that works. And, yeah. uh, you know, if it provides you the functionality that you need, perfect. Move on. <laughs> yeah. Well, very cool. I, I don't know what we're doing for time, Shane, but that, that's kind of what I got. It's, it's sort of one of those things where it was sensory overload walking into this place. I haven't really, I don't even think I've really captured it properly here, but I, I did go, it was one of my astronomical adventures, which I'm doing more and more of now. And I just thought it would be a, an interesting thing to put out in show format and to kind of drop down some of my notes from this, this bit of a whirlwind tour. We'll do another one maybe next week on the uh, David Dunlop observatory that, that I also visited it. And uh, yeah, it's just really, really cool. It, it's just sensory overload. So one, it always seems a bit wild when I see my friends in person and not just online or whatever, and to, and to be together and to be talking astronomy. And that's always really exciting. And then to be doing that in, in the telescope museum that one of our other friends kind of drummed up and then to be sort of walking through what he had in his mind at one point in time is, uh, it's very distracting. I think is the way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I hope to, uh, go back once it's set up and running. Um, it was really nice to go in. It was really nice to meet Jenna. I want to have Jenna on the show. Um, she's so busy. We got to figure out a, a day and time, um, in the winter once, uh, hopefully some of the stuff she's working on settles down and we're getting some new volunteers for some stuff. So, uh, I'm hoping maybe in the winter time we can have her on and, and talk a little bit about, uh, about the RESC and, and what it takes to, uh, to run an organization of 5,000 members. So that would be cool too. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right. Well, do you have anything to add or any questions on any of this stuff? Hopefully you can, you know, if you ever get into Toronto, um, it, it, you know, you can take the subway down and get off and, and walk for probably 15 or 20 minutes. Not a bad walk, pretty safe, uh, these days in downtown Toronto and, uh, and take a visit for yourself sometime. I think it'd be, I think you would be very fascinated by it. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Next time I'm in Toronto, I, I will have this on my list of things to do. Yeah, it is definitely uh, well worth uh, people's while. And uh, like I said, once they do get it set up and running, we'll either do a proper podcast on it um, with proper images, not just me running around frantically taking photos for three and a half hours um, and to get uh, some more of the solid details, like when it's open and what you can see there and that kind of thing. So anyway, thanks for indulging me, Shane. And, and thanks to the listeners for listening. If you have uh, show notes or ideas, please write us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. 
If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. Thank you.